Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan, but before we do, guys, I've got another question. If you had a heads-up display that showed three pieces of information about any person you looked at, what would you want it to show? Clayton? Well, this to me is like the piece of technology that I dream about as a pastor, that if I could just like have a little bit of information when you see a lot of people and like remember certain things about people, that would be amazing. So there's like, you're you're thinking both like the people you know and haven't seen in a while, that might be important, but also strangers. So I'm more interested for people that I'm like, oh, I've only encountered you a little bit. I would love their name, obviously. That feels like a simple one. How I know them. Okay, how I know them, or maybe the last time I talked to them, either of those might be, you know, one that that bit of information. And then something that they're curious about. I know that seems like a really abstract thing, but like something because I'm think I'm mostly thinking I want to make sure I have context for who you are, but also be able to start a good conversation with you. And if I knew, you know what, you're really curious about this, you're really interested in that. I would bring that topic up, and we could get a good conversation. You'd be like a master of conversation. That it would it would ease so many things. Yeah, that's what I would do. Okay, Eric. Man, those are great answers for a pastor. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, my answers were not quite as pastoral. <laughs> so my first answer is I want to know friend or foe. <laughs> do, 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 just, do you like I, like, like, on a, like on a spectrum? How, how likely yeah, are they? It yeah. could be a spectrum or it could just be the two words and one lights up yeah. depending on which way they're leaning. Uh-huh. Uh, this might be me missing the Northeast. You know, when you when you... Live in the Northeast portion of our country, you know friend or foe. You know who your friends are. You know what people think all around you. And there's something actually very comforting about that, to just know where people stand. In the Midwest, we just In the Midwest, it's like, I don't know. Everybody just, I don't know if it's pretending. You just don't know in the Midwest. So I've had to learn how to tame things down a little bit with (laughs) with the way I come at things in the Midwest. Um, So one, I want to know friend or foe. The, th- the second thing I would want is some kind of emoji spectrum. I want to know their current emotional state as mm-hmm. I'm talking to them. Ooh. If I could see it sliding, like, are they getting madder right now as I'm talking? Oh, are they getting happier? Yeah. Like, what is going on with their emotional state uh, so I can, I can be aware? And then I wish I would have said name. I'm not going to steal Clayton's, but that's a good one. Just to remember people's names would be super helpful. I could not think of a really useful third one. So then I thought... I want to know who just passed gas in the room. <laughs> and, and then I thought, because I just want to know, like, when people are denying it, I just want to be like, no, I know for sure it was you. But then I thought, no, I don't want to know that. Can you imagine sitting in, like, our auditorium at the St. Charles South Elgin campus with a thousand people in the room? And, and your just, ability to see that happening, I don't, I don't want to know. In that just case, little lights going off around the room. In that case, ignorance is bliss. And my general answer to this entire question is... Ignorance is bliss. There's oh. just a lot of things I don't want to know. Yeah, that's good. You guys, that was really good. You all had good answers. So I, I had their name, age, and then I was really struggling with the third one. So I was like, I don't know. 
maybe along the lines of like the friend or foe thing, I wanted to know like what's their criminal history, so like a background <laughs> check or something like that. But then I realized that like, like age and name is a part of a background check, so I essentially just wasted like you know two two, two of my wishes. first yeah two of my yeah two of my wishes. Is this somehow a backdoor admission that you're currently using dating apps? No, oh, no, not at all. I, I know, I know, just about every woman that's using yeah. any kind of dating app would love a background, a background check, check on yeah. the guy that they're about to go have a meal with. That's yeah, that no. is totally legit. Um, yeah, I just I just did not have a good answer for this, but you, yeah, you guys both you approached it with a little more like threat analysis <laughs> in mind, like friend or foe There's background wrong with this. check, like. <laughs> I'm not sure I trust all people kind of thing, which maybe is wise, but... Could, I, could you imagine if while you're preaching, <laughs> if while you're preaching and you're looking at 500 heads in the room, oh my gosh. you could see the emotional state oh my gosh. of how people are emotionally responding to the things that are coming oh out of your gosh, mouth. Oh my gosh, that would be awesome. I want to change or my terrifying. answer. Or terrifying. Or terrifying. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say. Because if it's not going well, I get a way worse well, preacher. Would, like, I'm like, know. oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. Here's what you would know. You would know which door to leave from after the, <laughs> after the church service or if you'll be available in the prayer center for conversations after your sermon. Oh, that was really good. That's good, guys. All right. Clayton, what passage are we looking at today? All right. We're starting a new book of the Bible today. This is First Peter. And a little context for Peter, okay? So Peter starts off by greeting his audience as the elect exiles, which is a strange title. But basically what he's saying is, I'm greeting those of you who have been chosen by God, like you're, you're, you're God's people, and yet you're exiles. You're living in a place where you don't belong. You're not, uh, not everybody around you is also a Christian. So First Peter is assuming you're one of God's people, but you're living in a place where the people around you are not necessarily friendly to that. You're a person in exile. And I, I say that because part of the reason we're doing First Peter right now is because it comes at the same time in the reading plan as we start to shift into Old Testament books that are set in the literal exile per- period. So we just read uh, Jeremiah in the fall. All of the, the books left in the Old Testament are after the fall of Jerusalem and the exile of, of Israel, and so or of Judah. And so um, this book in the New Testament is picking up on all that imagery of saying, what's it like to live in a place where you're not the home team? And Peter is talking about that in very practical ways to lots of different people. And so uh, that's part of the context of what he's doing. He's talking to Christians who are uh, living, the way he describes it is in Babylon. He actually uses that language, even though they're not literally in the city of Babylon. He's saying, you live kind of in this place, and it's hostile, and you're being persecuted. So how do you respond to that in your world? So we're going to read a passage about this in 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 8, going to verse 22. Finally, all of you, be like-minded. Be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, 
so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. All right, let's talk about observations. What did you guys see in this passage? Hey, Clayton, Ooh, let's oh just rip the Band-Aid off, because you picked this passage. I was totally thinking <laughs> On purpose, as the teaching passer, Jesus went and proclaimed to the imprisoned spirits, come on, man, let, uh, it, let it rip. Yeah, so, you know, part of when we're picking out passages for the podcast, uh, we, we kind of balance a few things. Sometimes we pick things that we're like, this is really important in the book. And we, you should know this passage. And other times it's like, this is going to really trip you up. And this is a little bit of both. <laughs> uh, this passage has some things that are really the heart of the book, but also this uh, kind of wild reference to Jesus uh, proclaiming to imprisoned spirits. Um, this is one of those ones where if you pick up a commentary, they'll be like, here are the 27 different things people have proposed. And then they punt. And they're like, well, I kind of think or whatever. So I'm going to do a little of that. But let me let me give you kind of the, the thing that people zero in on, Okay. This is probably referring, there's like a few different questions I talk about, like when did this happen, who are they talking to, you know, what was he proclaiming? But probably when it happened, most people say is between when Jesus died and when he rose, like what was he doing in the in-between time? Um, and and at people who've tried to kind of get around that, because that seems really weird, um, basically to kind of do a lot of gymnastics to do that. So it's probably during Jesus's time between, you know, Good Friday and Easter. And where was he? Um, he was wherever the dead are, and that's that's the thing, that we don't need to unpack all of that right now, but he went to the place where people were waiting, essentially, to be judged at the end, and he proclaimed to a group of people, and this is what it says, imprisoned spirits, those who were disobedient long ago w- during the days of Noah, okay? So people are like, who are these people? Um, is this a group of humans, right? Like, So this is like people who died in the flood, but they just were not listening to Noah when he said, hey, the things come in or whatever. Or, and this is the more uh, likely one, this is the one that if you kind of look at all the cultural context and all the things, what the early church thought it was, they basically say it was the uh, evil spirits, if you go to Genesis chapter 6, this is so weird, guys, the evil spirits who came down and seduced women and had some kind of sex and some kind of offspring and something weird happened. It's a really strange passage, Um, but the idea is whoever those sons of God were, these, these spiritual beings, uh, they're in trouble and they're waiting their, their uh, judgment. And so what Jesus does is essentially goes to the dead and those who are awaiting judgment and says, guess what, guys? I just won the victory. So he's not proclaiming, hey, here's a get out of jail free. Here, here's your chance for pardon. What he is doing is he is proclaiming, I just won. And the dead who are waiting for victory, Abraham and those kind of guys, it's like, hooray. 
But for the spirits who are in prison waiting judgment, it's like, oh, no, my doom is sealed. The guy won. He defeated, he defeated sin and death, which means he's the judge and we're done for. And so uh, I know all of that seems really weird. I can't unpack how, I, uh, how we get to that place, but that's probably what it is. But then again, there's 27 different versions in every commentary. I, I do not have my study Bible open, so I do not know what it says there, but it probably offers a few different options sort of in the, that ballpark. Whew. Well done. Let me let me tell you what. Well, it's his own fault. Well done, Clayton. But he walked right into that. <laughs> for, for, for getting on out purpose. of that hole you fell into he, on, on your own. Clayton your own. picks you the passages. This. So he knew he knew what was coming. The NIV study Bible mm-hmm. is not very helpful at all. No, it's not. <laughs> with its study notes on on that text. And probably because you just heard how many words Clayton had to use to give you a clear yeah. summary. There's and, no way they could put that many words in the study notes of the study Bible. And that's the short answer. That's, yeah. the, that's the trick. Do you know how much discipline I had not referring to the Nephilim in Genesis oh my gosh. <laughs> chapter 6 when I just recently preached on fallen angels and demons? <laughs> that's, that's all you'd get. You, you did enough things in that sermon to get a response. You did not need to throw one more in. <laughs> fallen angels, likely, maybe, having sex with humans. If there are things in the Bible that don't melt your brain, that one will. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't explain it. It just says it. <laughs> So anyway, that's probably what's going on. The, the, here, here, let me put this back in the context of Peter, okay? So Peter is writing to people who feel like the world is winning. And so there is a reference here to Jesus proclaiming his victory over people whose doom is sure. And to know that even in his death, Jesus was proclaiming victory would probably be a really cool image, a really reassuring thought for people who say, I'm looking at a world like Noah did, where a whole lot of evil is going on and they don't get us. And and then hear that reference to say this is this is the truth. Jesus has won the victory even when it doesn't look like it. Well, when you put it in that context, that makes a whole lot of sense. All right, what else do you guys see? One of my observations is what this is overall, which is coaching to not retaliate. And then it feels to me like the coaching is don't retaliate, and then what we get after that is responses to their response to that coaching because he knows what they're going to be thinking and feeling when he says do not retaliate insult for insult there's a different way yeah but what if this and what about this and it feels like that's what's going on here yeah i i was going to comment i I like that you used the word coaching but i said like there's a lot of guidance and direction being given here like be like this don't do this do this so that and then you know like um if you were to kind of like look through these things um, and and see like even today, even when we face opposition today for our faith, when someone doesn't believe what we believe or when someone contradicts what we believe, um, we still have to go about standing up for our faith like this passage wants us to, you know, um, and I just think it's I think it lays it out really well. You know, do these things. Don't do this. Don't do these things. I was looking at verse 10, and I noticed this phrase. It's very striking. Whoever would love life and see good days. I'm like, yes, that's me. I'm one of those people. I would love to love life and see good days. And then the advice that's given or the direction that's given is actually not what I expect. Like, So when I think, what would it take to love your life? to see good days, you think circumstantially usually. Like the first thing that comes to mind is like, oh, the people around you or you're you're enjoying good food or you're enjoying these experiences or, you know, you're secure in X, Y, Z way. But then it says this, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Like the thing that will actually make it so that you can enjoy your life 
is whether or not you can control your tongue. Mm. Whew. Like that's, that's re- like pretty profound when you start to think about it. Like if I think about what would make my life more full of peace and more full of joy and more full of like goodness, a lot of it comes down to how I use my tongue in response to the circumstances that I'm in. Whether people are hostile or whatever, the way I speak is going to determine some of how that goes. I like the fact that a rhetorical question is asked in verse 13, and then he takes away the answer. So in verse, in verse 13, he says, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? I, I think the answer he's going for is nobody would harm you for doing good. But then he takes away that answer. But <laughs> even if you should suffer yeah. for doing what is right, you are blessed. And so I, it feels like he's going after two sides of the same coin here. There may be, we may fall into this way of thinking where we say, well, if I do the right thing, I'm going to be ostracized. I'm going to be judged. I am going to be persecuted. And he's asking the question, all right, is that really going to happen? Really? And even if it does sometimes, don't you still want to be on the right side of things? I think the other side of that, too, is some people could read that and go, well, then do I have to suffer to be, like, blessed? You know, like, well, if I'm not suffering, then I'm not blessed. And and I think some people will, will, even when they're in a season of suffering, um, if there's a way for them to get out, like, if there's a way for them to change their circumstances, like, if they are doing something, if they're living in such a way where it's bringing the suffering upon themselves, right? If it is within their means to to prevent it from happening, um, some people say, well, I've, like... I've just got to stay like this because, like, we have to suffer. As Christians, we have to suffer. No, because God doesn't want us to suffer. But if we are, he's going to use that for good if we allow him to use it for good. Oh, go ahead. Right? I was going to say, well, it depends on what category of suffering we're talking about. Because there is just suffering because we live in a fallen world and things like disease, bad circumstances are just part of the human experience. And so we're going to suffer. And that is not based on good or evil behavior. Right. But then sometimes we suffer because we've made bad choices, evil choices, godless choices, and we have brought the suffering upon ourselves. Yeah. And then there's sometimes there's suffering because we actually make a good God-honoring choice and the people around us don't appreciate that choice. And so it brings suffering to our lives. So there's Mm -hmm. all these different categories of suffering. Uh, And so, you know, the statement, God doesn't want us to suffer... Yeah, all it depends. Of, all on the depend, suffering. It depends. Yeah. Okay, all depends else being equal, it, yeah. you know, he's not pro suffering, <laughs> but but he also knows that there are certain things that cannot be had without suffering, at least in this world. But here, here's where uh, Nikki, I think maybe you were gesturing at, or at least it sparked something in my mind. I I look I th- look in the context around here, and he starts applying it to particular groups of people: slaves, women who are married to men who are not Christians, you know, are mistreating them because of their faith. So, uh, circumstances where you're being persecuted by the government, those sorts of things. So there, in the context of First Peter, uh, there is the assumption that you're, there are some circumstances that you can't get out of. Now, we know in other places of the, in the Bible where it describes those kinds of circumstances, slaves and so on, where it says, if you can get out, get out, right? Like, God isn't for you just being in that situation just because, you know, you're there and it's like, well, I can't leave, I got to stay because God wants me to. No, he's saying, no, if there's a, a way out, get out. But a lot of times there isn't a way out. And here's how to still be like Christ in the midst of that and to recognize when you can't get out, Jesus was one who actually chose to get in and did it, right? Like, so, so when it's, it's saying like, hey, you're, I'm a slave, 
and I'm being mistreated by this master of mine, but I, there's nothing I can do. It's saying, okay, look at Jesus, who didn't have to be a slave, but he chose to come in and suffer, and he, was, he, he did this even for unrighteous people. When you're in that circumstance where you have an unrighteous master that you can't get away from, you can still treat him the way Christ treated you. And so there's something like inverting about that when you say, I, I feel powerless in this situation. I feel like it's coming at me and there's no way for me to avoid it. Guess what? You can actually become like Jesus, who is the victor, in the way you respond to that suffering that you didn't choose. Like that is really, really profound. Like really like changes your experience when you're someone who might feel powerless. I think verse 17 is a great summary of all of those thoughts, both Nikki's question about suffering and Clayton, what you just said, for it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. There's something, um, there's like a dynamic going on in here. I feel like there's a couple groups of people and, and one group of people is the people who can't get out of it, right? They're, They're trying to deal with the suffering that they, I don't know what to do with. But then there are other people who are using the fact uh, whatever they're going through, as a way to just be an excuse for it doesn't really matter how I act. Like you think of how many times Peter is warning, saying like, don't don't do evil things, mm-hmm. right? Like keep a clear conscience. Like don't do this so that when someone slanders you, they're actually wrong. Like you need to behave in such a way that if they slander you, the only thing they have to slander is good behavior, and it's on them that that's a problem. If you use it as an excuse to say they're treating me bad, so I'm going to respond in this way. I I like. Sadly, there are a whole lot of people who are in tough situations at work, in their home life or whatever, where very often what they'll do is they'll say, well, because of that, it's an excuse for me to act in this way that is hostile and malicious and you know just wrong, sinful towards these other people because guess what? I'm in this bad situation. And Peter's saying, no, 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 no. This is even more reason to say, you've got to be on the up and up. You've got to be this person of compassion and gentleness and humility and you know good words and so on. Uh, precisely because they're mistreating you. And so there, there's something there. He's getting at those people who are using it as an excuse. The, the example that's in my head right now is over, you know, lots of years of being a pastor, I've, re- I've received a few emails in my day that were insulting, unkind, complainy, abusive. You, you name the, word, the adjective. If I responded to those emails... In kind, insult for insult. If I responded the same way the person wrote the email, A, I would be a terrible pastor. I'd be a terrible Christian. And I'd be fired. So that, that to me, it's a very practical example of to, to, to be an effective Christian means that you don't repay insult for insult and you keep doing good even when it's not appreciated. Got another observation here. Um, the the verse fifteen where it says, "Always be prepared to give an answer for everyone who asks for the reason for the hope that you have." Uh, it implies a couple of things. One is that uh, people are seeing that you have hope. That there there's something about the way you're living. And, and sometimes when we talk about like, "Oh, people see that you're different," um, we 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 put all sorts of other things in there. Oh, you don't do this. You don't do that. No, the thing that they're going to see is hope in particular. Like specifically, the fact that you face hardship. And you still say, there, there's something bigger, something more that keeps me going. That's something that even if someone doesn't appreciate your behavior or your values, they see that and they say, I kind of want that. 
Like, I don't, I don't feel that way when, when hardship comes for me. And so to see your hope, and then the other thing it implies is that you, you actually understand the reason for that, like that you can actually say, hey, this is actually what keeps me going. And that doesn't mean like sometimes people are like, I got to have all the apologetic answers to all the questions. It's like, no, 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 no. You just need to be able to say, this is why when things are hard, I've got something bigger, Jesus, that gives me hope. And that, that's what it's saying. Are you ready to say that to somebody? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think sometimes when people read that verse, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. I think sometimes people read that in an apologetic way, apologetics being the, you know, the, the, the category of defending your faith, reasoning your faith with people. And people will read that verse thinking, always be ready to give an answer for any question that anyone may ever ask you at any time. That is a paralyzing way to read that verse. You hey, cannot. Clayton. Hey, Clayton. No. Hey, Clayton. No. <laughs> Minus us. <laughs> That's why that segment is funny. Yeah, because yeah exactly. Because no, none of us can do that. Right. I think the key to this verse is do it with gentleness and respect. Yeah. It's the way we respond that is most impactful, not even necessarily the content of our answer. Now, if our answers are dumb and unreasoned and not thoughtful at all, there's a problem there. But that's why in the Proverbs it says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. There's one other uh, detail in this passage that I think might uh, raise questions for people. It's the part at the end of it where it talks about it talks about Noah and the passing through the waters of the flood, and it compares it to baptism. So the, the simple part is there's this comparison of the flood and the waters of, of baptism, and they're kind of, you know, they're related, and so there's water, water, right? Like, so we get that. But then it, it says this, uh, the water symbolizes baptism that now saves you. Not by the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, in churches like ours, we are pretty clear to say, okay, the act of getting dunked in a baptismal tank is not something that saves you. What saves you is uh, putting your trust in Jesus, surrendering to Christ as the one who will uh, forgive you and be the ruler of your life. The fact that he died on the cross, that's what saves you. Not not some act that you do, not some work that you do. And so people look at this and say, oh, what? What does that mean? How does it save you? Um, and so there is, there's kind of two things that, that are worth pointing out here. One is for those who feel very concerned. They say, is this requirement to be saved? Um, first, let me say, uh, there are, there's an, at least one example of someone who believed in Jesus, never got baptized, and went to heaven, okay? It's the thief on the cross. He doesn't have time to get into a dunk tank. Um, he's dying on the cross, right? So uh, Jesus says, you're going to be with me in paradise. So it's, it's not an absolute requirement. And yet, Peter can casually use the word, it saves you, because he assumes if you have surrendered to Jesus, this is just something you're going to do. It's, it's sort of like saying, hey, we got married and then we say, oh, tell me about your wedding. And you say, oh, we didn't have a wedding. Like, we just did the legal part, right? We just signed a document. That's all we did. So, okay, so, well, yeah, you're technically married. But, like, the normal way of doing that is having some kind of wedding ceremony, right? And so Peter's talking about it that way. Like, in the same way, it's very normal to, to, to be baptized because everybody, everybody in the early church was baptized if you were part of the community. And so it's odd for us. Some of you who are listening to this are like, I have never been baptized. It has not... I've not done that. And when Peter says that, you're like, oh, no, does that mean I'm not saved? Well, guess what? If you had been baptized, you'd be like, oh, yeah, you're right. The thing that baptism symbolizes and the thing that I did, right, That's the, you would have heard that and not thought quite as hard about it. So um, just a, a little push for those of you who are like, how important is baptism? Well, it's enough 
that Peter would use this language that I have to unpack so uh, detailed. <laughs> okay, NIV Study Bible, which we love. You failed us on the... The Christ, Nephilim one. <laughs> well, Christ <laughs> making proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. But the NIV notes redeem themselves mm-hmm. here. Very helpful in verse 21 where it says there is a double figure here. The flood symbolizes baptism and baptism symbolizes the salvation achieved through the washing of rebirth. All right, let's move on to the M's and comma. We're going to start with message today. What message did you get out of this passage? That sound means it's time for your comma tip of the week. What exactly is happening with these Bible Savvy podcast episodes? And why do you even listen? Well, what's going on is pretty simple. It's three people in a room opening the Bible and having a good conversation. And you can do this too. And at Christ Community, we call these kinds of gatherings community groups. If you are craving good conversation with a physically gathered group of people and you're not in a community group, what are you waiting for? You can join or start a group. And the community groups team is standing by ready to help you do either one of those things. Go to the community groups page on the website, ccclife.org, and click the Get Connected button. And this has been your comma tip of the week. Okay, so my message is uh, to be a gentle and respectful example of your faith in every situation. My message is retaliation is ineffective for a thousand reasons. My message is seek peace using your words to bless even those who mistreat and misrepresent you. All right, let's go on to meditation. For meditation, we're going to use the very first verse we read here, verse 8. And in it, there are uh, there's kind of a list of qualities and actions that you can take. And so this is one of those things when you see a list in a verse, sometimes you just speed through it. What I want to do is for us to slow down a little bit, and maybe there's one of those that jumps out to you that is part of kind of pondering your application as we go into that section, okay? So let me read this to you, and we'll give you 45 seconds to prayerfully ponder it. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, Be compassionate and humble. Let's talk about the A in comma, which is application. What are you going to do in response to all of this? So my message was to uh, be a gentle and respectful example of your faith in every situation. My application was actually verse 8. It's to look at the characteristics that are defined there. But I also thought about um, like the, uh, the three open prayer uh, that we, we talk about every now and then, like an open door, open mouth, and open heart. Because um, as we're in situations with people where we are either, you know, we're, we're walking it, uh, like being like-minded, sympathetic, loving one another, compassionate, humble, you can do all of those things. 
But the way we speak, it has to also come across in the way that we speak. And so I'm thinking a lot of times I want to see, that's the open door, I want to see opportunities where I can be an example. Um, and then I want to have an open mouth. I want to be able to speak well about my faith and, and why it is that I, I live the way that I live or I think the way that I think. And then I, I want them to have an open heart to, to receive what it is that, that I'm saying. So um, I kind of looked at it both ways, open door prayer and then verse 8 for those characteristics that will help you uh, live and be an example in a gentle and respectful way. My application to my message and my message is retaliation is ineffective for a thousand different reasons is to take those three words that we just meditated on sympathetic, compassionate, and humble. And I'm thinking about writing them on a card, like an index card, Mm. like a checklist is, is my response or the way I want to have this conversation. Have I thought it through? Is it sympathetic? Is it compassionate? Is it humble? And until I can check off all three of those, I should delay the conversation or not respond yet. So that's that's my application. Yeah, mine's really similar. My, my message, seek peace using your words to bless, even for those who mistreat or misrepresent you. When I'm mistreated or misrepresented, um, the the thing that happens, the thing, the reason my words come out in a way that is not a blessing is usually because I'm not being compassionate or humble. So like, compa- like I'm thinking about me mostly. But when you're compassionate, you're saying, okay, let me think about this other person. Like, do I actually care about the needs of the other person? Even if they're doing something that is wrong, I got to get behind that and say, can I actually have compassion for my enemy and care about them as a person? And also, am I humble enough to say, you know what? I, there's a part of me that riles up and say, I don't deserve this. This isn't the way I should be treated. Or how, how dare you do this, right? That kind of thing. But if I can say humble, like, no, 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 no. If Jesus would submit to this, I can submit to this, right? And there's a certain amount saying, I don't have to be the most important, the end, I'll be all of this. And it's that, like what Eric was talking about. And until I can do that, if I can't answer because my words are going to come out in a way that are not a blessing. They're going to come out as a curse. And so um, approaching that, slowing down and saying, have I thought about them compassionately? Have I thought about myself humbly? Then I respond. All right. Well, there you have it, friends. Thanks for listening this week. Join us again next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan. In the meantime, if you're not reading along, check out BibleSavvy.com to download the plan and to start reading. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends and we'll talk to you next week.